Good morning. I invite at this time our two through four-year-olds to be dismissed to Toddler Nursery and Children's Church. Those of you who will be remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. So we continue our series together, Songs for Our Savior. Psalm 30 begins... A psalm, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and you have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from shale. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now, as for me, I said in my posterity, prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed to you, O Lord. I called and to the Lord. I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me? O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the gracious gift that it is to us. That it teaches us who you are. It teaches us who we are. And it shows us what it means to be in right standing with you. Father, may we learn a deep and valuable lesson from this psalm today as you use it to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we start, um, there's a little bit that we need to see about understanding the context of this psalm that will help us in interpreting it. So I've been waiting patiently for this psalm because all along... I've been reading the superscript below the numerical thing in your psalm, but above what your English Bible's list is, verse 1. And I've gone out of my way numerous times to point out that the superscript is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. It is part of the inspired, inerrant text of the scripture. It's just not listed that way in our text. And a lot of times we blow right by it. Just don't even really think about it. We don't study it. We don't give it a lot of consideration. Usually because it's smaller in our text, doesn't look like it's part of the verse. And because it doesn't give us a lot of valuable information a lot of times. It might say a Psalm of David. Well, okay, great. David's the author. Awesome. But that doesn't give us a lot of extra information. This one, however, does. And it's important to understand what's happening here in the official first verse of the Hebrew text. To understand what's going on in the rest of the psalm. And so a little bit about context. So it says here in the first verse, a psalm. 
a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. So a song at the dedication of the house. This is historically a reference to the temple. Most most people think there are those who disagree with that, but most people think that. So what is the issue then? Well, the issue is, is that David wasn't alive to dedicate the temple. That, that's slightly problematic. So how do you how do you work that out? How do you have David writing a psalm that most scholars, not all, most scholars take to be a psalm given at the dedication of the temple when David was not allowed by God to actually build and dedicate the temple. What do you do with that? There's three theories, three main theories about what's going on. You say, Philip, are we about to get all heady and academic and this is like total waste of time and I could have gotten a lunch a lot sooner today? No, because when we land on one of these theories, it will help us understand the rest of the psalm and why David wrote it the way that he wrote it. So theory one is the minority view of some scholars that this is not about the temple. It's about the tabernacle, which David would have had access to. In 2 Samuel 16, uh, there's the dedication of a tent similar to the tabernacle and David placed the ark in it. And so if you want to go check out that story from 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can. Um, But that's highly unlikely as to what's going on here because seldom do you have the tabernacle or a version of the tabernacle being referenced with the language of the house of God because it was a temporary dwelling place, not a permanent dwelling place. So The next two theories could both actually exist together. And in my humble opinion, I think that they probably should. So the second theory is, is that this is David's dedication of the site for the temple where the temple is going to be built because he did do that before he died. So this is where God's temple is going to be. And it's in the context after David's sin of numbering the people in first chronicles chapters 21 and 22 so we're going to read chapter 21 in just a second because i think it's pertinent for our study of the psalm today but essentially the story goes david said take a census of the people god had told him not to really do that so he high priest has an argument with him i don't think we should do that so go do it anyway So he goes and numbers the people, all of them, except for a couple of the tribes, because he just thought it was awful that that David was having him do this thing that God didn't want him to do in the first place. Because David violated the will of God, God comes to him and he basically says, hey, look, you're going to be punished for this. Here's three options when you love it. Now, I've never had God say, hey, look, you're going to you're getting in trouble for this. But here's some choices. You know, usually it's just the trouble. Like, I don't get options, you know. So he says, hey, here's some options of what the trouble is going to look like. David opts to fall into the merciful hands of God rather than to the hands of his enemies or other things. God brings a plague. The plague then subsides. A lot of people die. And then David repents. And then he says, we're going to build a house to the Lord at some point. And this is where it's going to be. And they dedicate that site. And then God informs him. No, you have too much blood on your hands. You can't build a temple. Your son's going to have to build a temple for you. So that's essentially how the story goes. So a lot of people think that this is the psalm that David declared when he, the song he sang when he dedicated the temple site, which moves us to the third theory. Some view that this is a liturgical designation used for later dedication services, particularly in Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, when they would sing a song about dedicating the second temple. After the first one had been torn down and the second one had been built up. I think this is the song David sang 
in First Chronicles when he acknowledged his sin and said, this is the place where God's house will be. And then found out that he wasn't going to be able to build God's house. And I think in honor of that, when they built the second temple, they sang the song again in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. I think that that's probably what's going on. Why does this matter? I know you're curious. Because placing the psalm in a, in a historical context gives us a greater insight into David's state of mind and his concerns while writing the psalm. So, I'm going to do something that we rarely do. If you would, flip back to First Chronicles chapter 21. We're going to read this whole story. And I want you to hear this story... With the words of the psalm that we just read. Now, now, just a few highlights from our psalm. And of course, we'll walk through it. But just quick reminders. You didn't let my enemies rejoice over me. I cried to you for help and you helped me. You brought me up from Sheol. You wouldn't let me go down to the pit. Your anger was temporary, but your favor is forever. Uh, weeping is for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Uh, Lord, you hid your face from me and it caused me to be dismayed. Uh, I cried out to you. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? You turned my mourning to dancing. My sackcloth became gladness. And so keep keep in mind... That's the psalm that we just read. The vibe is God was really sideways with me. And I had to repent. And God restored me to good favor. All right. So this is the psalm. First Chronicles chapter 21. Horrible way to start a story, by the way. Not not because I'm disagreeing with the Bible, but man, I would just not want this to be said about my life ever. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. It's not a good start. Like, if you're wondering if this is going to be one of those good or bad stories in the Bible, totally a bad one. Like, first clue, Satan has motivated you to rebel against God. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go and number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan and bring me word that I might know their number. And Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does the Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the census to all the people of David, to all of Israel. There was 1.1 million men who drew the sword. In Judah, there was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. David said to God, I have sinned greatly and that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David, saying, thus says the Lord. I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be swept away before your foes. While the sword of your enemy overtakes you or three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider and answer and I shall return to him who sent me. 
And David said to Gad, I am in great distress, but please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Now, if we had time and we were in First Chronicles and not the Psalms, we could spend about two months on that one verse. About how merciful God's hands are compared to the hands of men. So the Lord sent pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel died. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword and his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. And then David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said to God, is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done uh, very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord, my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people that they should be plagued. And then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad when he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves and Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord for the full price. You shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. And Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord, the king, do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and for the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. But David said to Ornan, no, but I shall surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering, which costs me nothing. By the way, if we had time and we were in First Chronicles uh, as our sermon and verse 24, we could have a field day talking about Jesus not taking anything for free, but paying the ultimate price to be the one who was the actual burnt offering before the Lord. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him. With fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering. One other time that that has happened. On the day of atonement. The very first one. When they offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. At the dedication of the tabernacle. In the time of Moses. And then the Lord commanded. The angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. And at that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan and the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering were in the high place of Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it to inquire of the Lord, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. And then if you were to continue, They begin then talking about making the site in Jerusalem, the site of the temple, the house of the Lord. Now, we turn back to our psalm. Why is this important? Why does this matter? Why is context key? Why is it valuable for us to understand a little bit of the background of this song? Because this is a song of repentance. Let's walk through keeping what we just heard from 1 Chronicles chapter 21 in mind. 
My enemies did not rejoice over me. Why not? Because he asked to fall into God's hands instead of man's hands. His human enemies did not have victory over him. God made that an option. Hey, for three months, these guys can come against you with a sword. They can push you back and you can be devoured before your enemies for a certain period of time. And David said, I'd rather fall in the hands of God than the hands of man. And so as he begins singing the song, he says, my enemies did not rejoice over me. God was kind. If you want to reference back for those of you who don't have it memorized yet from the one time that we read it. First Chronicles 21, 12 and 13 is where David points that out. He then says here in our psalm, I cried for help and you healed me. There was a great pestilence and a plague upon the people. They were literally sick. This is, in this case, not one of those metaphorical healings where it's kind of a, I was sick with my sin and God made me whole from my, no, the people were sick. 70,000 of them had died from this plague that had come down on them because of David's sin. And he called out to God and the pestilence stopped. God literally healed the nation from the sickness that was upon them. Notice as we continue walking through the, the, the psalm together. You kept me alive. I did not go down to the pit. David himself was not devoured by God's hand. David himself did not yield to the plague and the pestilence. David was kept alive from going to death during this thing, even though he was the one responsible for what happened, even though he was the cause of the sin that had come against the nation. He did not go down to the pit. He says here that God hid his face from him and it caused him to be caused David to be dismayed. There's a lot of typology here. We don't have time for it. But when David cries out in the psalm that God has hidden his face from him. There's a relational thing in the Hebrew concept in the Hebrew Old Testament of of being face to face with someone and that being a a position of good standing. The the blessing that we have in Deuteronomy about uh, uh, of God's you may his, may his, may cause his face to shine upon you. Moses's request to see God in his face. There's an intimacy there. And it even resonates some in our own culture of seeing someone right in the face. Even when we are at odds with someone. If we love them enough. It's a request that we make of them when we're trying to be reconciled and walk through what it is that has created difficulties with us. How many times as a spouse or a parent have you looked at your spouse or your child and said, I need you to look me in my face. We don't do that with people that we're just generally acquainted with. And we don't really take the effort to do that with people that we would consider to actually be our enemies. The desire to be at peace with someone in their face 
is something that goes all the way back even to the Old Testament. And so when he declares here that God has turned his face from him and he was dismayed, it resonates with Isaiah 59 too about how God hides his face from sin. And it echoes the cry of Jesus on the cross when the land went dark and he asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then David asked a profound question. Who will praise you if I go down to the pit? Hmm. Now, if we were to stop there, this would be an incredibly depressing psalm. But this psalm reflects the events and the activity of First Chronicles 21. And First Chronicles 21 does not end on a low note. It's not a sad story. It starts out as a very awful story. Satan moved David to rebel against God. And David, against the very voice of the people he should have been listening to, rebels against God. And his rebellion brings pain and sorrow and suffering upon all of the people. As an aside, a great principle that we should all glean from the story of First Chronicles that's being reflected in this psalm. Your sin never only affects you. What do you care if I do this? It's only going to hurt myself. No, it's not true. Not true. We have been made as human beings to live life Communally. We talked about that last time. It's not by mistake that when the Psalms were put together, the idea of having common unity is followed by what happens when any one of us rebels against God and that begins to break apart the common unity that we have. These are orchestrated on purpose. To create a flow. And when any one of us rebels against God, it has an adverse effect on all of those around us. Whether we mean for it to or not. And it happened that David, being the king, had the greatest level of influence in all of Israel. And he and he alone rebelled against God, contrary to everything else that was being told him. And it caused People, their lives. It's bad enough when I sin and it hurts the relationships of those closest to me. But when someone reaches a a level of power and prestige and authority and influence that their sin may then cost the lives of other people, it's even more pronounced when they rebel against the things of God. But that's not where this psalm or that story in Chronicles ends. Friends, this psalm, just like that story from Chronicles, is a hope-filled song of praise. Very quickly, and, and you can scan through the psalm and see it, but very quickly, I want you to see the positive things that David announces. I cried to you for help. I was in distress. I was in dismay. I was in sorrow. I was in pain. I was in suffering. 
but you healed me. There's a lot of hope there. Easy yes or no quiz. Everybody hopefully will get a gold star for this. Did David die from the plague? No. Should he have? Oh, yeah. But he didn't. He didn't. Could have, should have God slain all the 1.6 million people who were soldiers? Yeah, should have. Could have. It's only 70,000. Drop in the bucket compared to the number that it could have, should have been. I cried out to you for help and you healed me. And that's hope filled. You kept me alive. Verse 3. You brought my soul up from Sheol. You kept me alive so that I would not go down to the pit. Man, that's, that's hope filled. Should David have gone down to the pit? Absolutely. Should you? Should I? Of course. But you have kept me alive. Not only hope filled, grace filled. Notice what he says. That God's favor is for a lifetime. Friends, if you are in covenant relationship with God, if you are one of those that he has called out to himself, if you are one of those that he has redeemed, if you are one of those that he has set free, if you are one of those that he has marked with his name, look at what it says. His anger is for a moment. But his favor is for a lifetime. God will not forget or turn his back on the promises he has made his people through his son, Jesus Christ, and has secured as a down payment through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He just won't. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And David, in the middle of this. All of these men dying in the middle of this war from his own sin and rebellion, from his own pride and his own lack of faithfulness. He understands that God's anger is only temporary with those people. His favor is on them for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. But a shout of joy comes in the morning. And by the way, if we have, again, so much going on between First Chronicles 21 and this psalm and the whole rest of the Bible. If we had time, we would connect this to the almost parallel verse that is in the book of Revelation that says almost this exact same thing. And it's in reference to standing before the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ himself. For my deep, 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 deeply rooted Baptist friends, I apologize, but he has turned my mourning into dancing. Maybe holy swaying for some of you. You you meet everybody where they are. 
You know, the last thing that you do when you're mourning is dance. Those two don't go together. That, that doesn't work. There's something very wrong about that. If you're dancing at a funeral, I want to know the relationship background. <laughs> There's a story to be told there. Dancing is saved for celebration. When David overthrew Goliath, they began playing the instruments and they began celebrating and dancing. And they began singing songs of victory. That's what they did. When they lost battles, and there were times where they lost battles, when God's judgment came down in various places, there's no songs of victory. There's no celebration. You take my mourning, my grieving, my sorrow, my brokenness, and you turn it into a celebration of victory. That's what God does. And it doesn't actually matter how great your sin is. God's grace is greater. The Apostle Paul killed Christians for the gospel. He had letters of authority allowed to imprison them. And to persecute them, which eventually even led to the death of some. His sin was great. And now we know him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Let me scan the room. Yeah, that's us. And if we were to trace ourselves back far enough in our heritage, most all of us in the room were affected by Paul's missionary work and his writings to the church after God displayed a gracious salvation to him. Paul's sin was great. His mourning should have been great, but it was turned to dancing, celebration and victory. You've taken my sackcloth parallel here in the text and instead have girded me with gladness. Sackcloth into gladness. That's a picture of repentance, pain and sorrow. Being swapped out for joy and delight. And what is David's response to all of this? This story, can you imagine? He's the king. He's been set apart. He's gone through all of the things that he's gone through. And he's, he's reaching this later place in life. And he's seeing the great work of God in his life. And he's seeing the great power of God's forgiveness in his life at those other times that he's fallen. And now, in a moment of pride and ego, he 
steps outside of what God has made it clear to him that he should be about. And it costs the lives of tens of thousands of men who have waged war under his command as their king. And he repents. And he calls out to God for forgiveness and God compassionately forgives him and God heals him and the nation and God delivers them from the plague and the pestilence. And David acknowledges this great transformation, this great mercy that God has given him. What is his response? My soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. I will give thanks to you forever. Friends, there's a lot of motivating factors in our musical worship of God. When we sing praise to God. Maybe God has blessed us with something and he's been kind to us and he's delivered us from a difficult circumstance. And there's some temporal things that tap into the emotional self and that might feed. I just want to sing praises to God. But friend, hear me this morning. If the only blessing that God has ever given you that you can see. Is that you were in your sin And you had rebelled against him and you cried out to him for mercy and he delivered you from yourself and was compassionate to save. You have all the reason and motivation you need to praise the name of God forever. Because anything else that God does for you is just kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. The extra benefit, the extra blessing, the extra kindness of the Lord. Because all of us deserve to go down to the pit. All of us deserve to have God's face hidden from us. All of us have all of these things that David talks about in the psalm that are so negative, that dismayed him and overwhelmed him and frustrated him and and caused him to despair. None of us deserves the grace of God that delivers us from those things. None of us. So, friends, this is a song of praise. As the title says, Jesus, our song of praise. Why? Because every one of us needs to sing a song of repentance to the Lord. This is what I did. This is who I was. Apart from you, without the mercy of Jesus Christ, this is the pathway of my life. The Apostle Paul called out to the New Testament church and said, Remember what you were before you were called. David is having a recollection of his life apart from the grace of God. And he is dismayed. But God, being rich in mercy, he did not cast David off. He did not throw him in the pit. 
He did not abandon him to his sin, but instead forgave him. Drew him closer to himself. And compassionately healed him from his sin. Friends, this is a magnificent song of praise. Why? Because our God is a magnificent saving God. How great is my song? Hopefully as great as the deliverance behind my song. He was broken. He was sinful. He was rebellious. He was unfaithful. And God could have been perfectly just to condemn him. And yet he delivered him instead. And so what did David do? He offered a sacrifice. He purchased a site. He said, I won't take this for nothing, but I will make this sure that this is at the full cost. This will all be from me. I will not take a handout from anyone else. I can't get to the place where the tabernacle is. The temporary dwelling place of God. And so instead, I will make a sacrifice here. By the way, was David the priest? No. Should he have made a sacrifice? No. Should he have called the priest to make a sacrifice? Yes. And so what did David do in this moment? The writing of the psalm and the story that's fulfilled in 1 Chronicles 21 and 22. The king prophesied about a work a priest would do at that place one day that would forgive and draw us out of the glorious wretchedness of our sin and demonstrate the magnificent grace of God. Jesus is our song of praise. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that in all of this, the story in Chronicles, the psalm that David writes, the establishment of the site of the temple, the sacrifice that was made, the deliverance that was had, in all of this, we see clearly the glory of Jesus. Father, we like David have sinned and rebelled. And Father, my prayer is, is that each person here like David has repented and believed. Father, may our response be the same as his That our souls will sing praise to you and not be silent. And that we will give thanks to you, our Lord and our God, forever. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing such a song together this morning.